But I am so glad that you're with us this morning, and we're going to continue this summer series on lament. Summer series on lament, and, and the psalm that we're walking through today, it's actually the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, Psalm 22. It's, uh, it's, it's most well known because of how it begins, and if you haven't spent much time you know, reading the Old Testament, you might not even know that... that um, you might know these words, but you might not know that they came from the Old Testament. That might not be evident to you. You might not realize that they were originally written by um, the great King David. And I, I need to be careful with this because we're in, we're in Nashville, but you know, it's a little bit like that Dolly Parton song, um, I Will Always Love You. you know, like she wrote the song. Legitimately, she wrote it. But when Whitney Houston sang it, that was like it was a rap. You know, that was a totally new thing. She defined that song. And now when you hear it, you go, oh, that's Whitney Houston's song. And Dolly Parton is very happy to cash those checks. Um, this psalm is similar. David's words are so important as we continue learning about lament, thinking about um, how we grieve and turn from grief to praise in our own lives. Um, but Jesus really gives this psalm new meaning. And so that's where we're going to continue to go back and forth to that. The opening words of this psalm, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's, it's a powerful start. And thankfully, that desperate cry, that's how the psalm opens, but that's not how it finishes. Right? It closes in a very different place, a place that's hopeful, a place that's victorious. Now, if you've been with us, at Trinity for the past few weeks, you've heard the description of a lament scripture. Right? And, and here's how we've framed it. We've said that laments are a passionate expression of grief and sorrow directed towards God. And there's kind of a formula to it. You know, there's uh, sort of four stages, if you will. There's the turn towards God. That's, <clears throat> that's initial. There's a turn towards God. There's the complaint. The complaint is followed by a request or an ask usually in the form of a prayer. Right? And then finally, there's this, this expression of hope. And Psalm 22 follows this pattern really, really beautifully. Uh, it, it's self-contained. You get all four components right there. Um, but I'm going to spend most of our time today diving into that request phase, that, that third phase, if you will. And, and before we read the scripture together, I want to describe the various movements of, of the psalm. And I'm going to, we're going to read the whole psalm together, but I want you to see that there's a bit of a pattern okay, before the big finale. Now, we don't know exactly what caused David to write this psalm, but he was obviously uh, experiencing multiple forms of suffering. Right? He's going to use a few different comparisons to describe his situation. And you're going to realize that he's going through enormous pain, physical pain, but he's also going through shame. There's, there's a sort of emotional and psychological torment to what's happening. There's a desperation in his writing, mostly because he feels a separation from God. He feels distant. So uh, there's, there's the pain part, right? Then there's David going over the truths that he knows about God. Unfortunately, that's followed by these voices surrounding him that are mocking him, mocking him for his belief so he goes back and forth, describing the pain, recounting God's goodness in the past, and being mocked. And, and this happens a few times. And then, in a few key verses that I'll pull out in verses 11, and then later on in 
19 through 21, David presents his request to God. And the thing I, I want you to see is that these requests are bold. Right? These are not sort of ticky-tack uh, uh, prayers to asking God to make him marginally better, to make him a little bit better. He is asking for a complete change of situation. And so one more, one more thing before we jump into the scripture itself. At, at each point, at every movement, you can think of David's experience as kind of an appetizer for the eventual feast that Jesus brings. Right? David's words, as dramatic as they are, and in some ways they're going to defy belief. That is, until they are fulfilled in Jesus. Okay? So keep an eye out for those phases as we, as we dive deeper into God's word. And, uh, now, as we open the scripture, please stand with me in honor of God's word. And if you need a Bible, there's some um, it, at the end of each row, down the middle. If you don't have a Bible of your own, please take that one home with you as a gift from us. Now, here's Psalm 22. It's a Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. Yet you're holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm. I'm not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there's none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. For he is not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard. When he cried to him, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. 
All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. This is the word of God. You can be seated. We don't always read through all of the, all of the Psalms. That was, you know, 31 verses. But I feel like once it gets going, to me it was, it was like a snowball and there was no way um, to stop that. There's no one part to pull out that's more meaningful than another. We've got to have that. We've got to have that whole thing, and I think it's important that we read uh, Scripture in its you know, full context when we can. So before going any further, let me give you a roadmap for where we're headed, if you're a note-taker. First, we're going to look at, at really what must have been one of David's darkest hours, one of the darkest times in his life. Then we're going to see that out of that darkness comes bold requests that are built on trust in God. Finally, we're going to see those requests turning to praise. So we're going from the dark times to big prayers to praise. And I guess it it goes without saying that you can't lament unless there's something wrong, right? And we don't know exactly what was happening in David's life. But it's clear that the suffering is tremendous. We actually know a great deal about David's life, but scholars don't think this psalm was linked to any one specific instance. We do know that in his lifetime, you know, he lived in a geography that was uh, pretty unforgiving, and he spent time on the run from various people who were uh, trying to kill him. And so there's no reason to doubt his authorship based on the details of this psalm. But we don't know it precisely what moment it was linked to. What we do know is that there's some serious hardship he's facing. Look at verse 12, if you still have it open. He says, Many bulls encompass me. They open their mouths like ravenous lions. Now, for those of you that that don't know me, uh, my youngest daughter is three. So I feel like that gives me some expertise in what it means to be overly dramatic. Um, We get a lot of that in my house. These are not descriptions written by someone who's just trying to get an unwarranted rise out of the reader. If we had more time, I'd actually walk you through another psalm, Psalm 69. Maybe that can be your homework for the week. But Psalm 69, in that psalm, David is being being persecuted for his faith. But his language is actually way more tame than it is in this psalm. In, In Psalm 69, here's what he says. He says, but as for me... My prayer to you, O Lord, uh, this is a quote, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. I actually think that that sounds pretty chill to me, right? At an acceptable time. That's not what we're considering today. Psalm 22, it comes at us, uh, it comes at us like those, you know, those clapping hands emojis on Twitter? Maybe not, maybe you don't know those. Um, that, that's what it's like, right? David is actively trying to get our attention. He's saying, I am circled by bulls, right? They have mouths like lions. 
My bones are out of joint. My heart feels like melted wax. I'm dying in the desert. Right? This, is not, this is not a calm experience. David is at a point of desperation. Whatever is happening, there's no doubt that this is bad. Right? And those are just the physical torments. There's, there's a whole list of ways that he's suffering in non-physical ways. Take a look at verse 6. I'm going to read verse 6 through verse 8. It says, But I am a worm. I'm not a man. Scorned by mankind, despised by the people. Right? This isn't about physical pain anymore. Now he's talking about how he's being treated and how he, how he internalizes that treatment. He continues, All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. They say, and, and you've got to read this. This is some sarcasm. They say, He trusts in the Lord. Well, let him deliver him then. Right? Let him rescue him. He delights in him. The people around him are mocking him. They don't encourage him. They don't consider him to be a child of God. Instead, they are they're openly mocking him, and, and he feels shame. They're basically saying, if God is so good, why is it that you're crying out to him, but you're not getting any better? Hmm? I think that's a pretty common line of thought. Maybe... Maybe think about it in your own experience. Do you ever worry that a, a so-called unanswered prayer means that there's something wrong with you? Or maybe you feel shame because it feels like the trust that, that you placed in, in God was misplaced because you don't see an answer right away. Let me tell you, those naysayers around David, they got it, they got it wrong. They got it all wrong. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. But for now, just know that the voices that surrounded David, they're telling him that he should feel shame for what seems like unanswered prayers. And that psychological distress, right, it was just piling up on top of the physical pain that he already felt. Now remember earlier I mentioned that at every turn in, in David's experience, it sort of served as this appetizer for the main course. Remember saying that? The main course being the experiences of Jesus. This is the first time we'll see that in action. For all the pain and suffering that David is going through, he is the, he's the intro. Jesus is the entree. I mentioned that I didn't think that David was being dramatic, and I believe that. But I also don't think he's being literal. Okay, here's, what I, here's what I mean. I'll explain. To me, it's clear that he is suffering physically, emotionally, psychologically, you name it. But his, his words, right, it's not just the words of someone in a little bit of pain. You get the sense that he is facing, you know, imminent death. And there's some lines in the psalm that people in the Old Testament, they would have heard and they probably would have just considered them poetic. Like maybe they describe a feeling, but not an actual experience. For instance, look at, look at verse 16. He talks about being encircled by evildoers and his hands and feet being pierced. Then he says they stand over him and, and gloat, dividing his garments among themselves. Right, And that, that sounds bad, but it would have been peculiar, actually, to readers at the time, readers who were familiar with the life of David. They would have said, well, when, did that, when exactly did that happen? That's a real specific detail. When did that happen? And there's not a known time, as I mentioned. It's because the world's going to have to wait about another thousand years to get a better picture of what David was describing. So let me give you the description of one of Jesus' last days. 
just before he was executed. Listen to how it echoes, echoes Psalm 22. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe. And when they had crucified him, right, piercing, piercing, uh, driving nails through his hands and feet, they divided his garments among themselves by casting lots. This Psalm 22, it takes on a whole new dimension through Jesus, who went through some of the exact hardships that were described by David. So this is the low point in the psalm. Right? This is the, the, the section where we really hear the most about all this pain. And, and as I wrap it up, I, I want to pause just for a sec. Because while I know there are people listening to this sermon experiencing really deep suffering, my hope actually is that most people aren't. Right? My hope is that most of us aren't experiencing this kind of, uh, of suffering. But what that means is, it means you might be walking with someone who is. And so I want to talk about how this psalm might help. Right? What if you have somebody that you're walking with in a time like this, they're experiencing a time like this? And, and what if, as has happened to me before, what if the troubles in his or her life just seem unrelatable? Maybe you can't even fathom what they're going through. You don't have a like experience. In, uh, in, in, the, in the past decade, I'd say, it's become really fashionable to talk about empathy versus sympathy. Having I mean, empathy versus sympathy, and, uh, which I often have to like, remind myself and look up. Probably once a year, I look it up on dictionary.com. Um, but sympathy. Sympathy is saying, you know, I'm sorry you're hurting. Or I feel bad for you. And that, it's not that it's invaluable. There's value there. But empathy is putting yourself in another's shoes. Right? So really being with them. And I think that's right. I think it's good that we should uh, try to press through sympathy to empathy. But if I'm honest, I don't always want to truly empathize. Because my most authentic empathy comes when I've experienced the same pain. I don't want to experience the same pain. I'd rather not do that. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but uh, the late Senator and Attorney General uh, Robert F. Kennedy, he gave this impromptu speech. It's, it's considered uh, by some to be the, the best speech that uh, he's, uh, he ever gave. It's in 1968. He just got off a plane at a campaign rally, and he ha- had found out that... Uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had just been assassinated. Now, this is supposed to be a campaign rally, you know, the rah-rah and the signs and everything. And he gets off, and um, he's addressing the crowd. The crowd is mostly black. And he's talking to them about the rising feelings of mistrust and hatred that he assumed were there. But he says, I can also feel those things in my own heart. He says, I get what you're feeling, and here's what he says, because I had a member of my own family killed. Bobby Kennedy, in that moment, he has a deeper, more complete empathy for what was happening because of the immense pain that he had personally experienced when his own brother was killed. 
Right, but he used that speech. It was really he was really trying to calm people, trying to urge people not to uh, uh, engage in violence. He used that speech to point to a future in which racial animosity and violence was a distant memory. If you have an opportunity to be with someone and they are experiencing pain, and it's like a pain that you've experienced, may God use that opportunity to point another to Christ. But if you lack that relatability, that's okay. You can still point to Christ who also suffered. Right? That's how we use the scripture. Jesus knows pain and sorrow as David did. Right? If you know somebody who's isolated and hurting or they feel abandoned, you know what? You point them to the man who's got the nickname, a man of constant sorrows, Jesus. You don't have to have that personal relatability he knows pain. So, so that's, our, that's our sort of deep dive into, the, into this, this time. Right? Some of the darkest times for two of the Bible's main figures, David and Jesus. But then what we see is that emerging from that, there are requests to God that are as bold as the pain was deep. And that's where we're going next. All right, so asking boldly, is where we're headed. So remember that these laments, as I mentioned, they have a pattern. So it's, it's not all prayer. In fact, a lot of what's written, uh, it's not a request at all. You know, it's a, a complaint or it's recounting what happened in the past. There are a few verses, again, I want to call your attention to. These are where David specifically asked God for something. And like I said, here's the thing. David does not mess around with tame requests. Here's what he says. I'm just going to summarize. He says, God... Be not far from me, for trouble is near. Do not be far off. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword. Save me from the mouth of a lion. Right? If you, I'm, I have actually never been threatened at the mouth of a lion, but from what I understand, um, it's not a really deliberate and like patient process. Right? There's not a lion that's just waiting there, and you're just debating the merits of your case here. Right? That's an instant thing. And David says, God, save me from this. I need you now. And it makes sense that there's this urgency to his prayers given the depth of what he was going through, what we just read. So he doesn't beat around the bush. Come quickly, deliver me, save me. And Jesus does the same thing on the eve of his death. He finds time to be alone and he prays to God the Father. He says, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, pass from me. He's asking somehow to avoid death by crucifixion. And my challenge to you, to all of us this morning, is to ask for rescue. Ask just like David asked. Ask just like Jesus asked. Right? Ask for res- rescue, no matter how improbable that may seem. And if it was that easy, we could just put a bow on it and put a bow on the sermon, and you'd have an extra, I don't know, 15 minutes uh, to suffer outside in the heat and humidity, and that would be it, right? But not so fast. I'm going to spare you from the humidity. You're welcome for being in here. (laughs) I don't think it's satisfying to be told, hey, pray bigger prayers, right? I don't think it's satisfying to be told that, even if those bold prayers are what you need. I think, uh, I think it's hard. I think we, know, we need to know 
how we're able to pray those prayers and make those big asks of God. And so the concept that we've got to talk about is trust. And that's really what this psalm is built on. And trust is a complicated, it's a complicated concept. Right? Um, if, I, if I can, if I can get a little sort of uh, philosophical with you for a minute, um, it's, like, it's a little like cause, causation. Right? Here's what I mean. It's very hard to point to cause. Right? You can't really bottle it, but we know that it exists. Right? If I knock this cup over, I, I'm going to cause it to fall on the floor. Water's going to spill everywhere. But, but still, like, where was the cause? It's, it's hard to know. Cause is a, a tough situation. We see its effects. We see what happened. So let me ask you, how do you know you trust someone? What, is that, what does that trust itself look like? Well, I think one way to think about it is that when you are in a vulnerable position and you rely on someone else, not knowing exactly what's going to happen. And I'll say it again. I think one way to think about trust is when you are in a vulnerable position and you rely on someone else not knowing exactly what's going to happen. And, and so I'll give you an example that um, some of you, probably many of you uh, uh, dads, we're so glad that it, we're glad for you. It's Father's Day, but maybe you've had this experience this summer. You ever uh, tried to coax a kid to jump into a pool? Right? Or maybe off a diving board? Uh, better yet, I I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but um, have you ever been the one on the diving board? Uh, being coaxed into the pool, and you know you're you're the one up there, and you're you're kind of nervous. Of course, you're nervous. You're standing at the edge there, and like knees are shaking, and there's some jerk down in the bottom of the pool, treading water like Michael Phelps, right? And they're telling you, no, it's going to be totally fine, right? And you're up there just nervous, uh, and you look around, and everybody on the deck of the pool is like looking at you, and they're all smiling, which is a weird thing, because like, why are you so happy? Because I'm about to meet my doom here. But if you're that person in the pool, what do you say? Right, what do you say? You say, it's okay, it's okay. I know you're scared, but trust me. Right? I will not let you drown. I'm not going to let you sink. I've got you. I'm going to keep you safe. And so, so we can call stepping off the diving board bravery. You can call it that if you want. I think that's involved. But I think really it's evidence of a trust. Trust requires action. And regardless of how benign it may seem at the time, prayer is action. Prayer is one way that we evidence trust in God. Right? And so where does that trust come from? For David, it came from the history of the Lord's faithfulness. So that's what we're, we're going to take a look at. He recounts a couple ways or a couple instances in the scripture. David feels empowered to ask God for rescue because he can point to what God has done in the past, right, in his own life and in the life of others. One commentary I read about this psalm suggested it's, it's actually this history that has David feeling so confused at first when he first cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quickly follows that up in verse 4. He says, and you are fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. 
To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted. They weren't, they weren't put to shame. Right? There's almost an element of fairness to it when, when David is, is saying it. He's saying, God, remember what you did for the people of Israel? And last week, uh, if, if you were here, you can go online and listen to it. Seth preached on uh, how the psalmist there was doing just that. He was remembering God's faithfulness at a very specific time when the people of Israel fled Egypt and the waters parted. David is imploring God to remember times like that, times when he protected his people. And if you're not steeped in, uh, in Bible knowledge or a history of the people of Israel, let me, I'm going to uh, give you the, the real condensed version most of the time, the people of Israel were a hot mess. They were a mess, but they were God's mess. Meaning, they were his people. Right? And so we look back to see how God has always made a way for his people. And make no mistake, we're no better than they were, but we are no worse off. That's one of the reasons to get to know the Bible is because you can read these, these examples of God's faithfulness throughout history. You can see that it's okay to take that, to take that step. Right? That he's not going to abandon those whom he called. And you'll, you'll start, I hope, you'll start to recognize times in your own life when he provided shelter and rest and rescue and respite. And hopefully our first response, it will be to cry out to him first instead of using prayer as a last resort. Let me, let me talk for a minute to, the, to our children. There's so many um, kids with us, and, and so I want to specifically address our kids. I think that one of the toughest things about being young is that you don't have much of a history to draw from, not a personal history. Right? You're encountering so many things for the first time. New relationships, new friends, new schools, maybe new places to live, new family dynamics, new heartbreak. I, I was thinking about uh, some of the times that I have most felt like those words that, that David wrote, you know, like my heart was broken, like it would turn in on itself. And many of those times were from 25 years ago. And over time, hopefully those things, they kind, of, they kind of smooth out a little bit. But when you're young, every experience is so much more powerful and potent. So I would encourage you, uh, our young people, to do two things. First, if you're not already, ask your parents about times when they experienced pain or hardship, but God was faithful. Right? Ask them about that. And if they can't think of a time like that, you come and ask me. Okay? I have journals full of times like that. But I bet your, your folks do too. The second thing that you can do, and, and this is really for kids of, of all ages, is look to the future. Okay? Look to Jesus. And that's where we're going to close today. Did you, did you guys, when we were reading through, did you happen to catch how fast the tone of this psalm changed? The prayer, the, the prayer portion moves to praise, I mean, in an instant. Right? It happens in the middle of verse 21, right after petitioning God one more time to save his life. 
Let's take a look at what David writes. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. It's like, oh, that was fast. The middle of one line. And, and unfortunately, we don't know exactly what the impetus was uh, for you know, what really has to be viewed as a remarkable change. Change of events, change of, in, in perspective. But we know that earlier in the psalm, David felt like he was isolated. He felt that God was distant. He said, God, I cry, but you don't answer. He asked for God to be near. So I've got to think that whatever changed, David began to feel the nearness of God again. And maybe, maybe, as he recalled God's faithfulness, maybe his own perspective changed. I don't know. But I do know that the rescue that David feels, it quickly outpaces even the pain that he was experiencing. Right? It's, like the, it's like the pain was the first sort of stone dropped into the water. And the, the prayer, remember we said the prayer was even more bold than the pain was deep. So it was the next ring, that next ripple. And then God's response, it comes in the form of even wider circles that go on and on. And uh, if David was just returned to normal, if he was just sort of, if God brought him back to, to, to being whole, to level again, Right, the psalm would have had more neatly packaged responses. It might, have, it might have been like this. I was surrounded by enemies, but now they're gone. I was dry, I was burning up in the desert, but you gave me relief. Right, we might have seen that. My bones were out of joint, now my body's healed. And, and let me tell you, if those things had happened, that still would have been reason enough to praise God. That would have been reason enough. But much more happened. And what happens is that David looked to the future, right? David looked to the future, but now we know it as historical fact that Jesus came in and ushered in complete victory over death and suffering, that he would fulfill this psalm. We've already seen instances where David's writings were eventually fulfilled by Jesus, you know, being pierced through the hands and feet that I mentioned, being mocked, the clothes, etc. There's more here though, that could only be accomplished by Jesus. Check out verse, uh, verse 26. David has been the one suffering, yet all of a sudden, after saying that he's been rescued, it, 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 he sort of zooms way out. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. And just like the passage about the pierced hands and feet, just as I mentioned, that that would have been a little confusing to the readers in David's time. They might have read this also as, as poetry. But we know David wasn't creating literature. This isn't, he's not writing for kicks. He's writing about the future. You may have noticed in verse 23, David is addressing the people of Israel. He looks right at uh, them. He, he calls them, quote, the offspring of Israel, you who fear the Lord, and he tells them to glorify, and that would have made sense to the readers. But what would have been um, hard to understand is later in verse 27, when he addresses all families and nations of the earth, that would have been mind-blowing. How is everyone, how is everyone going to, going to glorify the Lord? How can all the afflicted possibly be satisfied? That would have been too much 
uh, for them to comprehend. But it's not too much for us to comprehend because we know what came after David, and that's Jesus. Only in Jesus can those things happen. So, you see, David may have experienced a rescue of sorts in his own time, but he was given a glimpse of, of a salvation that was greater and that was coming. Right? That's what caused him to praise God in his own time. And that's our challenge. That's the challenge that we have as, as Christians, if you are one. We are called to trust that God has heard our prayers even though it seems at times as though he's silent. What, what we'll find is that sometimes the opportunity for praise occurs well into the future, even beyond the grave. Jesus himself prayed that the cup of crucifixion would pass from him, yet he was still crucified. Does that mean God wasn't listening? Mm-mm, mm-mm, not at all. In fact, if you look at the letter to the Hebrews, here's what said. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Does that sound familiar, right, to Psalm 22? He offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. So how was it that Jesus' prayers were heard, but he still died? Because he, like David, yeah, he went through immense suffering. But not only did his prayers get through, they got through to God the Father. There was even more in store. We're looking for an answer one way, but God can do so much more. Not only was uh, God going to, through Jesus, defeat death. No, He was making a way to alleviate suffering for all families and nations of the earth. Right? I love that last line in the psalm when David said, It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. Right? That's us. We would have been yet unborn back then. That he has done it. I don't think David even knew what he was writing in some sense. It was truly inspired. But now we know. If you feel distant from God's presence, you look to Jesus. You feel distant from God, look to Jesus who came down from heaven to earth to be near. He has done it. Psalm 22, it's important for us because I think it gives us a template for what to do when we're experiencing grief or loss, even even in, in this case, torture, impending death. If that's you today, look to this psalm for a reminder of how to move out of darkness by bringing those requests to God. And if you're walking with someone in desperation, point them to Jesus. So while preparing for this uh, sermon, I was reminded of a, a, a song that a friend of mine Andy Gullihorn wrote it's an, an older song. And the words, the chorus, I'm not going to sing it because I, I don't want to embarrass myself. And I don't want you guys to try to sing along and embarrass yourselves. The words go, the chorus is, Jesus, Jesus, when my well is running dry, Jesus, Jesus, your holy name will satisfy. And so Andy tells a story about this song and 
sort of how it originated. And he was, as a kid, he was lost in a grocery store. And, you know, he, he didn't know where his mom was. And um, as you might imagine, he was getting more and more scared. He was feeling um, that he might have been left or abandoned or forgotten. You know, I don't know. You're scared. Well, eventually his mom found him. And as she was trying to comfort him, she told him that whenever you feel like that, just say the name of Jesus. Whenever you feel like that, say the name of Jesus. Listen, that is not just for kids temporarily lost in grocery stores. Okay? That's what I'm telling you today. There is power in the name of Jesus. Amen? Yes. There is power in remembering his example. There is power in remembering his source of strength, which can be our source of strength. It starts with God's faithfulness. It doesn't start with us. It starts with God's faithfulness. That is the fertile ground from which trust grows, and we have to water it. And we can water it with our tears if that's all we got, but we have to water it. And don't water down your prayers. Don't ask for something less because you don't want to be disappointed. God will give you more than you can imagine. Now, I don't, I don't know your exact situation today, but if you are persecuted or sick or beat down or kicked down, if you're depressed, if you are oppressed, if you are crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You need to know that Jesus, fully human, cried out to God, his Father too. And though he was given no respite on earth, he was rescued and more. He was resurrected. There's no darker place than where Jesus went for you and me. For a mysterious few days after crying out, calling out to the Father, he was separated from him for the first time. And it was the last time. That cry that Jesus made, it evidenced a faith that was answered infinitely. Jesus was rescued. We can be too if we trust in him. Hmm? Pray with me now. Father, on this day especially, we are reminded of Father's love, what it can be, Lord that it's only perfect in you. And so I pray for all those hurting that they would confidently cry out to you because you are faithful to answer. You are mighty to save. Lord, I thank you for the history that you have with your people. You have done more than rescue, Lord. You have given relief and comfort and salvation. And so we look to Jesus as a reminder, not just for what uh, you can do, for what you have done, what you continue to do for us, Lord. I pray that we would walk confidently in that knowledge, that we can cry out to you, that you're mighty to rescue us and give us everlasting life. Amen.